Welcome to the teaching ministry of C4 Church. Well, again, good morning, C4 family. Uh, it's so glad that, again, you're here in the middle of the summer. And as Pastor Dave just prayed, we are now in week three out of the book of Ruth. And so if you've got your Bible this morning, uh, virtually or physically, we'd love you to uh, navigate or turn there. And we're going to be in uh, Ruth chapter uh, 2. In exactly uh, one hour and 20 minutes from now, I am leaving uh, on a 15-hour drive with three children under four. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say that to get love before I began preaching. Uh, no, we're, we're on our way. We're, we're leaving. I joked with the staff. I said, I, I'm going to preach and leave. I'm going to say everything I've ever wanted. And they all froze. I said, I'm joking. I'm joking. But no, I, uh, we're about to leave as a family to do the summer thing. We haven't done it yet. And we're heading down to New Brunswick to the East Coast. And, uh, and so we're packing our kids into a van and we're driving 15 hours now, it's interesting when I was reflecting on that all of yesterday as we tried packing the house between playtimes, which is a whole nother confession I'll do later, um, I was thinking about the reality of journey. Very simply, the book of Ruth, as we've been finding out, is living between being chosen and purpose. What I'm about to do in the next 15 hours is definitely the in-between. The end result of the risk of driving with three kids is a good vacation. Sometimes the way we get there is, is difficult, and I guarantee you it will be. But let's not forget that risk sometimes doesn't work, but sometimes it does. And as I'm about to do, I'm doing something with my kids for 15 hours that won't probably be fully enjoyable. The end result is worth the middle. And that's exactly the heartbeat of what's happening in this book. The truth is that as we see God's unfolding hand in the book of Ruth and also in our lives, sometimes the middle is difficult, painful, or just uncomfortable, but the end is worth it. Because unlike other risk, we risk with a God who is fully loving, fully holy, and fully in control. The book of Ruth, as we've been finding out, is not exactly what many people think it is. Yes, it's one of the greatest love stories ever written in history, one of the most well-read and written books in history, and yet we have been discovering this is no romance novel at all. This is not myth, and this is not fiction. This is a real human story, human history filled with risk and pain and loss and duty and discovery and mercy and grace and, yes, love. Yet, there's something more going on, more than just real flesh and blood history. There is another history at work, another history that is intervening in this love story. See, at the heart of this book is God himself. God is present. God is working. God is the real character in this story. And it is his love that's the spring that feeds the rest of the whole story. Here in part, we see God's deep desire and decision to know us, to, to buy us back, to reconnect with all of us made in his image. That's we, of course, human beings. Ruth is another glimpse in the long story of God's love to all of us, his prodigal children. From Ruth will come King David. From King David will become come the line of David. From that line, Jesus himself will come. And in the face of Jesus, we get to know who God is fully, that he's utter holiness, that he's utter love, and he invites us, as we've just seen, to know him in a deep and personal way. Yet all of that's to come 3,000 years later. Last week, if you were with us, and the week before, we were in the Valley of Decision, and decision made. Ruth, a Moabite, 
has lost everything. Her mother-in-law has lost her husband. Her sister-in-law has lost her husband. She now has lost hers. They are now widows in a culture where widows are the most vulnerable people in society. And a decision is made. Orpah goes back to her people, back to her faith, back to her false gods. But Ruth makes the decision to follow Naomi back home to a place called Bethlehem. She chooses to give up everything. One verse summarizes that change in destiny, this change of family, this change in faith. Really, this was a change in allegiance and understanding and in a different power. It's Ruth 1.16. This is what she decided. This is what she declared. This is what she said to her mother-in-law when her mother-in-law kept saying, don't come home with me. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. I can't do anything for you. At least back with your people, you can get a husband. And she said these words, and it was not just some emotional moment. It was truth. Where you go, I will go, she declared. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. As one said, and I quoted it last week, we must not, as moderns, minimize the sacrifice or pain involved for this young woman. Whatever her motivation or knowledge of God, she willingly abandoned her family, her familiar surroundings, and all her religious traditions. She took on the uncertain future of a bitter widow in a land where she did not know anybody. She would enjoy few legal rights, and given the traditional rivalry between Moab and Israel, she probably would also face ethnic prejudice. Simply put, the person writes, it cost her everything to follow Naomi home. She, of course, becomes the foreshadow of what it means to meet God through Jesus. A new chapter begins. They arrive home, and it's during the barley harvest. People are celebrating Naomi's return. They never expected to see her again. And she cried out, do you remember? Why do you call me beautiful? Why do you call me delight? Don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is Mara. I've lost everything. And then it ended by saying that the harvest had begun. The three tight, get tighter. It's the time of the harvest. There's life, though Naomi and Ruth don't feel it. There's the smell of fresh grain. Many would sing songs, actually, during this harvest. It was a time of hard work, but real celebration. Now, so far, Naomi and Ruth are on the center stage, and God is in the background. But a new person is about to emerge to round out this story. His name is Boaz, a godly landowner. And this is how it begins to read in verse 1 in chapter 2. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now, this is a relative of her mother-in-law's dead husband. Now, they would know each other only through marriage. And the author of Ruth points out quickly that this is a man of standing. Now, this is important in Hebrew because man of standing in Hebrew means war hero, a capable person, a wealthy man. It was a title of high social standing. This person had strong influence among his peers. Simply put, this was a man of substance and a man of means. This is good news for this family. But why is he mentioned? We'll see soon. The story continues as it should in this culture, not in ours, but in theirs. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose, whose eyes I find favor in. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So they had arrived during the time of the harvest. It's a short season, and they're both widows. They're in a better situation than they were, but not much better. So what do they do? Well, what's really interesting is this, and most of us don't understand this. These are God's people. 
This is Israel. God has decided to meet these people personally. And not only that, he has declared himself the king of his people. And so not only does he own the people, not only are they in a marriage-like relationship, not only is that true, but he also owns all the land they are on. And so God is not only viewed as their savior and Lord, he is also viewed as the one who owns all things. And so he becomes the compassionate landowner, the generous benefactor for all the poor. So God's law, his character, has to be reflected in everyday life, not just in some religious ceremony. The worship of God among God's true people always bleeds into everyday life. This was actually mandated by God during the harvest. This is how it reads in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.9. When you reap the harvest of your land to God's people, don't reap the very edges of your field or glean or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and leave them for the alien. That is those who are living among you that are not my people. And then he says, and why? Because I am the Lord your God. This, of course, rise against brute capitalism. And you hear what we see. God says, I am the Lord of all things. I deeply care for the poor, and I deeply care for those who are among you who are not my people. So here's the rule. You must feed the poor. Not because it's duty, not because the government's involved. No, no, because you are my people, and you are called to reflect who I am, for I am God, and I am a generous God. All good gifts come from me, so you better reflect me to those who have nothing. God's rule and grace went far, far beyond personal rights and property ownership. Now, Ruth at this moment, though she was a foreigner, knew that this was around. She knew this was allowed, and she went to do it. Don't miss this, though. This would not remove all the internal fears of this woman. All the questions would still follow her, would still haunt her. See, at this moment, we find that Ruth is still her mother-in-law, in the sense she's helpless, poor, a widow, alien, living among God's people, and at this moment in the story, she's heading to the edges of the fields. She says that she's hoping to find someone who would give her favor. And you say, well, John, why would she need to do that? It's obvious. God said, we, the people of God, are commanded to do this, so she should be able to do it. Well, let's just all be honest today. For we who are followers of God, do we always obey God, though we know the truth? Yes or no? Exactly. She understands that though these are the people of God, they, just like us, will struggle with one big word, hypocrisy. And so she understands that though it is not forbidden, but actually not just encouraged, but commanded, she realizes that the people of God may decide not to obey the God that has given them so much. She needs one word, favor. She intends to get permission, but she is now totally surrendered. She is hopeless once again. She is in the hands of another once again to get food. Because if she does not get food, don't miss the power of this. If she does not get food, her and her mother-in-law still may starve to death. So she goes out and she begins to look. Verse 3 tells us, amazingly, she gets the permission. It says that she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of, clan of Elimelech. It reads basically like this. It was just her luck, or it just happened, or by chance, or by accident, she ended up in that very field. But that's not what's really being said here. Sarcasm. 
We don't believe in luck as Christians. We don't believe in horoscopes. We don't believe in fate. We do not believe in the stars aligning. We believe in God and what he's doing on earth. This is God's hidden providential hand behind the so-called coincidence. As one noted, what to Ruth was sheer coincidence in an unset set, an unplanned set of circumstances, we, of course, understand as the outworking of God's gracious care towards her. He's got the whole world in his hands as the song goes, right? See, never forget that this whole book, Beyond Love, is actually about providential love. Providence is that old word we talked about two weeks ago. It means sovereignty enacted. It is God's present activity in the world. We as Christians do not believe that God just one day woke up, created the world, wound up a clock, and walked away and said, I hope it works out. God is active in the world. He not only rules the world, he sustains the world. And we at the heart of our movement believe that God is personally and presently involved on a cosmic level. He is involved in a historical level. He's involved in a global level. And he's even involved in a personal level. God is at the heartbeat of all things. And so we see this being worked out in Ruth. This is not fate and this is not destiny. This is not fate. This was destiny. This was happening to Ruth, not because of her and what she did or how impressive she was, but because God's hand was on her. She happens, I love this, she happens to end up in the one field out of hundreds of fields which belongs to the only guy that could marry her if that was even possible. Another penned, and I love this, artistically, the shadow of family loyalty and duties now hung over the field. All that remains is for the two to meet. So she happens to be in the right field at the right time, and suddenly, in quotations, the owner, Boaz, shows up. Again, not fate, not coincidence. This is God's act of work. This is God's sovereign plan. Boaz has now come on the scene. I love it in verse 4. Just then, wink, wink, Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters and said, The Lord be with you. And they replied back, The Lord bless you. Can you imagine going to work and saying that these days? You're fired. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Notice everyone is affirming God's presence in the scene. Why? There's no blurring of sacred and secular at this time. The whole of life, I love this, is lived before God and with God in mind. Let me say that again. The whole of life is lived before God and with God in mind because these people, their whole society, is rallying around a relationship with the living God of heaven and earth. This is not just dead tradition. They're not just doing this because it's the right thing to do, or grandma did it, so I do it. This is not, well, we're all Jews, so let's just get on with it. No, no. This field, uniquely, is a place where God is worshipped, even during work. And, interestingly, this person named Boaz is a real follower of God. I love one author who said these words. Think about this, and think about your own walk, if you're a Christian. If you want to know a man or a woman's relationship with God... It helps to find out how far God has saturated them down down to the details of everyday life. Eventually, Boaz was such a God-saturated man that his farming business and his relationship to his employees was shot through with God. He greets his employees with God. And as we will see as this story unfolds, this is not just pious platitudes to get points. This is real. And so he's walking through the field. He's the owner. He's the you know, the CEO. He's just making sure everything's going okay. He's not expecting the unusual, but suddenly in the middle of the field, something caught his eye. Actually, not something, someone. Was it attraction? 
Was it, well, he knew all his workers, so who's that woman? Was it her dress? Could he tell she was a foreigner? Could he tell he was one of the poor that was gleaning because that was common? Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? What family does she belong to? Is she a slave to someone else? Or does she, uh, is she a worker from another field? Is she married? I mean, I know all my workers. I, I was involved in hiring them with you. So who is that woman again? The foreman replied, verse 6, Oh, she is that Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. You, you remember, Boaz. You've never seen her. But that's that amazing young woman that gave up everything to come back with Naomi. That's the one who was married into your family. She's Elimelech's widow's daughter-in-law. Remember? Boaz is like, what is it? Okay, yes. He keeps going and says these words. She came to me and said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz, she asked permission, just so you know. And because you're a godly man and because you take God's word so seriously, I allowed it based on God's command. I mean, she asked to glean only with permission. And honestly, you know, some people slack, but she's worked all the time and she's just in the shelter right now. The story should pause for us as modern readers. It's meant to. See, time should stand still. The owner is now present. This is his field, not the foreman's. The foreman is only a steward, is only empowered when he isn't around. So now what will he do? Will he kick her out? Will he let her say? Never forget that she is part of the hated Moabite people, the enemy of Israel, a foreigner. Would Boaz become cruel or would he be generous? Would he be a racial bigot? Would he take out all of his ethnic anger and prejudice on her because of the past invasion that happened only generations earlier? Because she's just there. Or will he turn around and actually reflect the God supposedly he greets everyone with? Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. With tenderness and appropriate distance in that culture, he now formally gives the yes. He not only says you can stay in my field, interestingly, and says you can glean what you want, he actually insists she stays in the field and doesn't go to another. N not there and not there, here. You can stay here and you can actually be with other women that I have hired and work for my house. See, Boaz knew that he was called to care and protect for the God that he knew and the nation that was dedicated to that God was about life and mercy and light and forgiveness. Boaz wasn't done at all. He continues to speak to this woman out of the many that were there and says these words. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told, I love this, I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, whenever at all you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now, men and women have different roles. Most of us live in urban centers. We have no clue what's going on here. I had to do research so I understood Men would actually do the reaping, uh, the harvesting, that is. They would cut down the, the, the stalks of grain, and then women that were hired would follow behind them, and they would actually bind up those wheat and, and those grains together and, and put them in piles. And then the vulnerable would follow after the women. Boaz shows up and he says, okay, here's the deal. First of all, I'm going to grant you status in my household. And so at least you have employee status. So she has access, think about it, to the water cooler and the lunchroom. That's where it starts. 
And since her status is now given, she actually gets to walk, amazingly, between the harvesting teams and the rest of the poor. In other words, she is given the best access between all the people that are poor. But not only that, then he turns around and says, look, gentlemen, gather around me. You know who I am. You know what I'll do. If you touch this woman, if you touch her, there are, there's going to be problems. Now, this is amazing that he shows up and says, don't you dare touch her. Now, why? What does this mean? Does this mean protection from being harassed? Does it mean that she could have been beaten violently because of her ethnic background? Does it mean sexual assault? Does it mean that sometimes the harvesters ended up fighting with the poor who were gleaning and forcibly restrained them? All of that's possible. But there's something else going on here too. It's not just all of that. What it can also mean is, I don't want you to have an inappropriate marriage. In other words, Boaz is saying, gentlemen, back off. I'm interested. Now, there's two reasons why he could say this. He's attracted, or he understands his duty in that culture as a man to marry, of course, someone from his family that's been widowed. No matter. Behind all of this is God's unseen hand. Why this field? Why now? Why did he notice? Why the protection? Why the undeserved mercy? Because God has a special purpose on this woman's life. This is the first sign that God's hand is on Ruth, and she is being moved from the very outskirts of Israel into the inner circle. And I want to remind everyone this morning, whether you've been a Christian for years, or you're not a Christian at all, or you're in the middle, listen to this carefully. This is not just about economic inclusion. This is not just about ethnic inclusion. What is really being driven home here is this. She's getting to get relationship with God. She's being included in God's family. There's hope, there's light, there's a second chance, there's life. Well, this was better than anything she could have imagined. I mean, she started today thinking, I don't know if we're going to have enough food. She started today saying, I wonder if anyone's even going to be nice to me. She started today realizing she was a Moabite. She could actually be beat up terribly as a woman, vulnerable. She started today saying, I don't even know anyone in this place. And now she's astonished because everything she's wanted and more is given to her. In classic Middle Eastern fashion, with all the social cues intact, Ruth expresses deep kindness by bowing down at the foot of Boaz. But amazingly, see the tenacity in this woman, still questions his motives. At this, she bowed down with her face on the ground and she exclaimed, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I'm not your people, but you treat me like I am. I'm not of your family, and then you act like I am. I'm a stranger and a daughter of your enemies, yet you choose to treat me like your own daughter. I mean, you exceed all my expectations. See, unlike so many today, there's no sense of entitlement here. Most of us get astonished and resentful if we don't get what we request within 38 seconds. She turns around and she has no understanding of entitlement because desperate people don't have time for entitlement. And she just gets on her face and says, why would you do this to me? Boaz turns around and says these words, which are the heartbeat of everything I'm going to say today. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your, your mom and your dad and your homeland and you came to live with us, a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Not your God, our God under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
The image here is so strong and so powerful. Don't miss it. God is pictured as a great eagle guarding his young. And notice that she's being rewarded. This is where everyone needs to listen closely. She's being rewarded not because she's worked real hard and now God's impressed with her. She's being rewarded because she simply put her faith and trust in the God of Israel and chose to come underneath his wings. That's the only reason anything's happening. God is, this image of an eagle is used multiple times in the Old Testament. It's amazing. In Deuteronomy 32, it said that he shielded him in a different context and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its youngs, over its young. I mean, this image of God being an all-powerful bird that comes, and at desperate moments when the eaglet throws itself out too early and comes and rescues it or guards it from harm, this is how God is portrayed. This is the God we worship in this church, right? Right? This is a beautiful picture of God. In Isaiah 31, like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and he will rescue it. John Piper writes so well. Boaz says in verse 12 that God is really the one who's rewarding Ruth. He's just actually the instrument of God. But it's those verses. He says, notice again, the Lord repay you for what you've done. The full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. The verse does not encourage us to picture Ruth as an employee of God, providing needed labor, and then the employer rewards her with good wage. The picture, like I said, is of God as a great winged eagle, and Ruth as a threatened little eaglet coming to find safety under the eagle's wings. The implication for this morning is verse 12 that God will reward Ruth because she sought refuge under his wings. Reward is not some type of we get relationship with God by how hard we work. It's not what they used to say, salvation by what you do, by merit. We see the way that God works here. God blesses those who hope in his work for them, not their work for him. You've come to take refuge under the wings of God. Therefore, I pray he will vindicate and give you by his power and grace all you need, Ruth. Ruth says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of even one of your servant girls. She is saying, listen, I don't even understand this still. I mean, I, I'm not your daughter. I'm not, your, I'm not involved in your family. I don't even have a social standing of one of your hired people or even one of your slaves. Like, I, I am even beyond all of them. Your mercy, your kindness is overwhelming. Your grace is undeserved. You've been kind and tender. And as a woman, I just need to say, you've allayed and removed all my fears. If there's one thing that time and time again, when women are deeply honest, they say, oh, it is so profound when someone does not control me, but genuinely loves, guards me, and removes fear. And this stranger shows up and does it. The book of Ruth reminds us very simply, very poignantly, that there is a God that cares, there is a God that rules, there is a God that provides. There is a basic human longing for God captured in the picture of the prodigal son, or as Augustine rightly said, after he met God in a deep way, he said, my heart or our hearts find no rest until they find rest in God. One called this part of Ruth, this little section, grace and gratitude, and it brings it home best. It is here, 3,000 years before the event of Jesus, that the gospel is already being revealed. 
Right now from this ancient story of love, you can actually see and know and find out how to encounter the God of heaven and earth and keep walking with him. Each step and each call, each promise that we'll see in Jesus is found in seed form between Ruth and Boaz. See, God invites all of us and all of you online to know him personally, to walk with him, to find our ultimate purpose and value in his glory first and our freedom in him second. God has broken into our darkness to give us hope, forgiveness, purpose, meaning, and eternal life. Just like Ruth and Boaz, it is not a mistake. Let me say this. It is not a mistake you are here today. It is not a mistake that you're watching or listening online. It is not just luck or fate or coincidence. God has designed you being here for a reason. Uncomfortable as you may be, there is a reason why you're here. See, Boaz is the foreshadow of Jesus, and Ruth can become the foreshadow of us. See, just like Boaz came and redeemed Ruth, just showed up and gave her everything and beyond, though she did not deserve it. So Jesus does the same with us if we embrace him. If we call on Jesus, he will turn around, just like Boaz said to Ruth physically, and will say to us physically and spiritually, look, I've chosen you. You are now part of my family. You're adopted into God's family. I will give you purpose. I will give you hope. I will give you new life. You will have access to me. Though you do not deserve access to me, you will be given more than you expect and more than, the, than you desire. Yes, you were an enemy of mine by your behavior and your life and your worldviews. You're a child of a nation, a people, a humanity that's against me naturally, and you worship false gods. Admit it, God would say, you have put your trust in your education or your sex life or, or, or your own religious worldviews or, or actually another formal religion. You have done all this, but actually, because I love you, because I, I'm connecting to you, if you would walk away from that, I will feed you, I will shelter you, I will declare like a great eagle, you cannot be harmed. Jesus not only demonstrates this by what he taught, but by what he did. By his death and resurrection, he was declaring to us that sin, death, and the demonic no longer can own us. Fear at its root is ripped out of us by the hand of God. Your past is removed. You are given a radical new present and a powerful, hopeful, and secure new future. As Boaz was to Ruth, so Jesus comes to all of us undeserving, except here's the difference. Many people today don't think that they are undeserving. See, the whole heartbeat of the Christian movement is based on a holy, loving God coming to us when we couldn't get to Him. But there's one caveat, there's one thing in the middle of the conversation that needs to take place. Ruth got in her faith and said, I don't deserve this, and I know that I'm in trouble. Humanity sticks its middle finger in God's face and says, I don't need you, and I'm not in trouble, thank you very much. Ruth becomes the profound example of what it means to really meet the living God beyond religion, beyond trying to prove ourselves to God, beyond trusting in our own money or power or time. To meet the living God of heaven and earth in a genuine, real, personal way, to experience all that God wants to do in your life, in this life and the life to come, you have to be like Ruth and humble yourself. Ruth counted the cost and gave up everything and actually met God in the end. So the same with you. As she declared in verse 1, she says, Look, your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. I give up everything. You must leave your old country called sin. 
You must leave your old gods and your old worldviews. You must move your allegiance from yourself or your family or your history or another religion or a way of living, and you must follow Jesus first. He becomes Savior. He becomes Lord. Jesus promises, hear this this morning, Jesus promises everything you've ever wanted in the sense of genuine human longing, but, but, but like Ruth, you have to give up your life to find life. She gave up her life and unexpectedly counted the cost and ended up in a field and Boaz showed up and said, now you are going to experience what you've never experienced before. But the path to meet the living God of heaven and earth, the path of humility is the only way. It doesn't mean you beat yourself. It doesn't mean that you have to prove yourself to God. It simply is this, I choose to put myself under the wings of God. Notice she just had faith. Faith is a churchy word. Do you know what it means? Informed trust. That opened the door to the relationship. Nothing more. She didn't get to know God because she was nice to her mother-in-law. That was the outworking of choosing to meet the God that her mother-in-law talked about and struggled with. You don't meet to meet God, work to meet God. He's already there. You just have to say yes. One of the greatest thinkers of his time in the Jewish faith was Paul who was one of the grandest proponents of work hard and you get to know God. And after he encountered the living Jesus and said, I trust in you and you alone, these are the words he pens. These are the outworkings of the seeds that we see in Ruth. He said in Titus 3.5, Jesus saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. Or Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace, undeserved mercy, you have relationship through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works so no one gets to brag. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you notice that? You come and get relationship with the living God simply by humbling yourself, admitting your sin, trusting in the only one that can save you. No entitlement at all, no resistance on your face. And God shows up and honors you and calls you a son and daughter. And then the good works begin, not because you're trying to impress God, but because you are now in a love relationship with him. Why wouldn't you want to do great things for him? since he's done so many amazing things for you. See, that's the heartbeat. Good works come after the relationship out of love, not out of duty. Religion, Christian forms and others declare, work, 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 work harder, be more religious, be nicer, and maybe God will pay attention. And that is a lie from the pit of hell because hell wants you to believe that you are the center of the universe. And guess what, everyone? We're not. So when God shows up in power, he shows up and reminds us that we're like Ruth. And he shows up like Boaz and gives undeserved love, undeserved presence, undeserved mercy, undeserved relationship, undeserved life. But it starts with risk. It starts with humility. The question for many of you today religious or not, is what do you do with the story? Some of you gathering here today and online have never met God in a personal deep way. You may have religious roots. You may even have the title Christian. You may not. But what do you do with God when he shows up like this and says, do you not know? Do you not know that out of all the fields, I'm looking at you today? 
Do you not know that this moment, at this moment in time, I've decided to show up and have a conversation with you out of 7 billion people right now, you, I'm looking and talking to you. I designed you, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I have been waiting to meet you and yet you have been in a distant far country and I've now come to set you free. All you need to do is look at my son Jesus and say, I want under the wings. That will begin a radical transformation. And not only must you turn and say, I leave my other stuff and embrace him. He promises you eternal life. The heartbeat of the Christian movement and all of its good and bad is simple. God came for us when we could not get to him. What do you do with Jesus today? Some of us going, John, I did that last week. I did that 40 years ago. I did that 20 years ago. Well, what do you say to me? Well, number one, I think Dave started the service right. I'd sure be thankful today, wouldn't you, that he showed up and did this? If that's all we took away, thankfulness would be good, but there's more. Two parting thoughts and I'm done. It's interesting what happens in the fields. Uh, if, you're, if you're starting to look away, stop. You need to hear this. All social media down. It's very interesting what happens in the field. Boaz shows up and he greets his employees with the name of God and they do the same. Never forget that we're Christians. We don't live like the rest of the world and we don't believe what the rest of the world believes. We don't own our destiny and we don't own our stuff. We don't own our homes, we don't own our RSPs, we don't own our families, we don't own our children. God is the owner of everything. And we are called as Christians to be different in one fantastic different way, that we live our life before God and with Him in mind. And my challenge to you today, and it's one I've, I've wrestled with all week, is this. Is God wanting you, very uniquely, at this moment, to let someone into your field? Does God want to do something? Does he have his hand on someone? Is there a ministry? Is it something to do with this church? Is it a person in your life? Is something going on that you've been ignoring because you're not living your life in front of God and with God in mind? It was Abraham Kuyper, the prime minister of Holland, who, oh, by the side, was a theologian and a journalist as well, okay, who said these words, there's not an inch in the whole area of human existence of which Jesus Christ, the sovereign one of all, does not cry, it is mine. Let us not as Christians hold tightly to our stuff or our people. To all of us that are followers of Jesus, let us be reminded that God made this week, this month, this year, want to use your field to further his kingdom, to change a life or the destiny of someone he's decided to move upon. Live a life with Boaz and cry out like he did with his, his workers, that God himself is present, that he is the giver of good gifts. Ask God this week, and by the way, I'm not saying this just to be pastoral or to sound churchy. I'm asking you to do this. Ask God directly. Is there someone? Is there a family? Is there a ministry? Is there something that you are calling me to do financially or with my time or with my presence? Are you asking me to allow someone to come and take some stuff that is mine so God will move? The harder and the tighter we hold on to our stuff, the less of the kingdom of God shows up and the less of Jesus is found. Did everyone hear that? Seek first the kingdom of God, I think someone said, and everything else gets added, right? 
Never forget that we are stewards. We're like the foreman in the field. And God continually is trying to encounter and meet people. Let us never get in the way because we are holding too tightly to our stuff. Last thought is this. I want to leave you with the image of God. God is never changing. He's not like us. And one of the great attributes of the God we worship in this church, and the church has worshipped for 2,000 years, is God is called the great protector. Some of you at this moment need to hear these words again. That God, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, is with you. And with this prayer I found, there's a phenomenal prayer about this. Because some of you deeply as Christians need to hear that God has you. That his wings are covered over you, and he really actually does have you. Hear this prayer, reflect on it, and pray it if you can. It goes like this, O Lord our God, let the shelter of your wings give us hope. Protect us and uphold us in Jesus' name. You will be the support that upholds us from childhood till the hair on our heads is gray. When you are our strength, we're strong, but when our strength is our own, we get weak. In you, our goodness abides forever, and when we turn away from it, we always turn to evil. So let us come home at last to you again. O Lord, for fear that we would be lost, for in you our good abides, and it has no blemish since it's you. Nor do we fear that there is no way home to which we can't return. We fell from it, but our home is your eternity, and it does not fall because we are away. God, hear our prayer this morning. Two different prayers for our church. Number one, some of us are sitting here or watching or listening in this country, in this province, or in another country, and we have never embraced the living gods of heaven and earth in a direct way. And so if that's you, you can pray this simple prayer. And remember, the God of heaven and earth is now about to encounter you. So pray this carefully, but without fear. Say, God, I'm choosing to put myself under your wings. Pray that. I need you, like Boaz, to show up in the field and rescue me. I've lived my life without you. Or I used to know you so long ago, but actually, I don't think I ever did. So here's what I'm saying. I humble myself. I humble myself. I'm putting everything down. My pride, my religiosity if I have it, my sin, my worldviews, my anger, my unforgiveness, my bitterness, my pain, like all of it. Putting it down. And I'm humbling myself before you, God, like Ruth. And I look up and say, Jesus, forgive me for all this stuff and so much more. Forgive me and come rescue me. I want you in my life. I want you to say that I'm your child. I want you to say that I'm forgiven. I want you to say that I'm included. I want you to say that eternal life can be mine. I want you to say that there's hope. I want you to say that there's a second chance. I want you to say I love you. I want you to be my God and your people to be my people. Forgive me for all I've done. And Jesus, I trust in your perfect worth, work and your worth. I trust that you've actually died and risen from the dead. 
And I explicitly put my hope in you and nothing else, not a system or myself, but you. Come meet me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. And Lord, we pray right now, if anyone's prayed that genuinely, that you would come and meet them and their life would be transformed. And they'd move from darkness to light, just like we saw in the baptism today, from death to life, and that they now would lead others. And for the rest of us, we simply uh, again declare to you, God, we want to be like Boaz where we are God-saturated. And so we once again willingly put down our family, our kids, our materials, our homes if we have them, anything that we own. And we say to you again, what would you do, O Lord, with our stuff? What would you do with our lives, our time, our money? We want to see people meet you. We don't want to hold. So speak. Speak, Lord, directly. We Help us to obey quickly. And lastly, I pray for those who struggle, who weep, who wonder, who walk sometimes in the valley of the shadow of death. And I just pray that the wings of God, and I just don't pray this metaphorically, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come to give deep reassurance that you, like a great eagle, come and you wrap yourself around us. And in part, we know you now and forever we will know you later, but that you would come and let us know that you are with us. May the God who called us before the beginning of time, may the Son who died for us and has set us free, and may the Holy Spirit who reminds us we will be risen from the dead meet this church and continue to be glorified. And all of God's people said, let us stand and at this moment, again, sing to the God of Boaz, sing to the God of Ruth, and the God of the church. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to this ministry, visit our website, www.c4church.com.